as Rob and Richard have said, this is um, the third in a, in a short series we're doing, looking at uh, the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is a, a statement of faith that Christians, both through the centuries and around the globe, have said together, stood and said together, about what we believe God is like. And we're going to think further just about that one word in the start of the creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty. Just, um, just a couple of words of caution as we come to the Apostles' Creed. The first is we, we don't believe the Apostles' Creed like an incantation. It's not that we, we say these magic words enough times and pop out we become a Christian. That's not how the Apostles' Creed works. It just sums up what the Bible teaches about what God's like. There's no magic in the words themselves. So it's not an incantation. The second thing is, is that we don't believe the words of the creed carry the same authority as the Bible. If those that, that first put together the creed were here, they'd, they'd say a hearty amen to that. What they attempted to do was draw together what the Bible teaches about the character of God. And, and the creed is full of wonderful truths because it, it, it draws on the Bible to say, uh, here's what God is like. Here's the uniqueness of the God of the Bible. So that means, in one sense, this evening, and in this short series, we're not preaching the Apostles' Creed. We're still preaching the Bible, because that's where the authority is. But we're, we're using the creed to help us to consider what God's like. So we, we're going to think about what it is to say that God is the Father Almighty. Perhaps you shudder slightly at the thought of that. Power's often a sinister thing, isn't it? Abraham Lincoln once said this, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. There's something, there's something about power that distorts, and it, it can turn the best of men and women into ugly tyrants. Hasn't history shown that to be the case? We don't have to look very hard to see power being wielded like a blowtorch in a dry forest. And yet the, the Bible portrays God as immensely powerful and wonderfully good and kind. And, and Psalm 93 helps us to begin to paint a portrait of what, what it is to say that God's almighty. If you've closed your Bibles, do open them up because we're, we'll be using Psalm 93 to help us to see what it is to say that God is almighty. And let's pray as we look at these words together. Father, we do have a, a, natural, a natural kind of pushback to the thought of, of power, and we often think of it as something sinister. Please, by your spirit, would you show us how good it is that you are almighty. We pray that for our good and your glory. Amen. Well, if you've, if you've got your Bibles open on Psalm 93, here's the first thing for us to see. What does it mean that God's almighty? It means that he's the majestic and unending king of the world. He's, he's the majestic and unending king of the world. You see in verse 1, the, the Lord reigns. He's king and he rules. It's not like he's king of just one patch of the world and other bits are sort of God-forsaken. He, he's, he's not king over those bits. No, he, he's king over the whole lot. There's a Dutch theologian, Abraham Kuyper, that once said this, there's not a square inch over the whole of our human existence over which God does not cry, mine. He's king over the whole thing. 
And do you notice the, the kind of king that he is? Can you see it there in, in verse 1? He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Just think for a moment, the last time you saw something that you'd have described as majestic. Think of that. Maybe it's on holiday this summer. You may have gone to the Lake District, as some of us did, and, and got to the top of a mountain and seen that panorama, and it, and it was truly majestic. Or perhaps you were, you were at the beach this summer, and you, you watched the, the sun turn blood red and drop below the skyline as you sat on a beautiful golden beach and listened to the waves gently lapping in. It majestic. One of those kind of jaw-dropping moments where you, you're just aware of how, how little and tiny you are. Well, if we could just get the slightest glimpse of God robed in his majesty, we would be knocked for six. We would, we would be aware of how small we are. It would be a truly majestic moment. Isaiah catches just a glimpse of the Lord uh, robed and high and exalted on his throne. He catches just a glimpse of it. And how does he respond? He says this in Isaiah 6. He says, Woe to me, I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. Isaiah just gets a glimpse of the, the majesty of, of God. and he's, he's undone by the experience. Ruined. I was walking the, uh, my, we've got four young children, I was walking three of them to school on, on Friday, and I'm, I'm quickly realising, as we kind of walk through, there's a, a park just here called the Jenny Lind Park, I'm quickly learning that, that it's a bit of a dog, dog walking haven, if you go through there in the mornings, there's dogs everywhere, you've got to watch a little bit where you walk, but I was walking there with, with my three children on Friday morning, and, and as we were getting nearer to, to Micah's nursery, he's two and a half, we spotted these two little dogs, I, I'm not great on breeze, it might have been... I'm not sure what it was. The sort of dogs this kind of high. Really little, tiny little things. Really small. And, and Reuben and Micah, Reuben's five, bounded up to these two dogs and started playing with them and stroking them and, and couldn't get enough of these two tiny little dogs. Also, most mornings, there is this beast of an Alsatian that is there as well. And, and it bounds across the fields. And I, I find myself kind of a bit like a mother hen. Anytime I see the Alsatian kind of making sure I know where the, the children are and, and get them in close to me. Reuben and Micah haven't gone anywhere near that huge, great beast of an animal. And it's simply just a, a matter of scale with those dogs. The vastness of the Alsatian just leaves me and, and, and my children just slightly in awe. We, we don't want to get too near. Well, if that's, if that's the case with dogs, how much more with God? I wonder, I wonder how big your view is of the God of the Bible. You're in danger of sort of bringing him down, domesticating him. Psalm 93 says, he is robed in majesty and armed with strength. If we could just get a glimpse of him right now, like Isaiah, we'd be undone by the experience. It wouldn't just be a jaw-dropping moment, it would be a knees-buckling moment. But he's not just the majestic king. Look in, in verse 2. He is the unending king. Verse 2, your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. He has always been king, and he always will be king. Sometimes 
God is described a little bit like a clockmaker. Uh, clock you know how it works with a clockmaker. They, they make the clock, they work hard at it, they wind it up, and the work's done. They step back and leave it to tick-tock, away it goes. That's how God's often been seen since the Enlightenment. He, he made the world like a good clockmaker, and he's, he's now stepped back, and the gears are going, and the world keeps going by the laws of physics. Now, that's not how the Bible portrays God. He's the unending king. He's, he's not one step removed like a clockmaker, but right now, he's the unending king who sustains his universe. The sun came up this morning, it's gone down this evening, not because of the laws of physics, but because of the power of God. Psalm 3, verse 5 says this, I lie down and sleep, I wake again, because the Lord sustains me. Tonight you will fall asleep, and you'll wake up again in the morning, because the unending king of the world is sustaining you. Every breath right now that you and I take is because the Lord is sustaining you. Is, is that how big your, your view of God is? He's the unending king of the world. Perhaps you think, well, James, that's all well and good. But, but if only you could know just a little bit of the mess of my life right now. For me right now, it, it just doesn't feel like God's almighty. Where is he in the midst of all my mess? I guess if, if each of us were honest, we could probably put our fingers on at least one thing where we feel completely out of control and wonder what God's doing. I could name five things without much difficulty. Well, here's, here's the second thing that we see in verses 3 and 4 about what it means that God is almighty. For God to be almighty it is to say that he is the unrivaled king over the seas. That's the second thing we see. He's the unrivaled king over the seas. Look, look down at verse 3. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voices. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. You see, the, the sea in the Bible represents chaos and, and disorder. Have you ever been at sea in a, in a storm? You'll be pretty aware of that. It kind of makes sense. It's pretty chaotic. And at, right at the end of the Bible, in, in Revelation 21, when John glimpses that the new heavens, the new earth, he says there'll be no more sea. He's not saying that the future there'll be no more beaches and day out of the, days out of the sea. He's saying that in the future, when God comes back, there'll be no more chaos, no more mess, no more disorder. Perhaps life feels pretty storm-like for you at the moment. It's just one wave pounding in after another. You kind of catch your breath and boom, the next wave comes and you're hit again. You're flailing around, out of control, desperately just trying to get back up to, to take another breath. That's what verse 3 expresses something of. And yet, look at verse 4. Mightier than the thunder of the great, great way waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. God is mightier than your mess. As powerfully as your life might feel out of control, God is more powerfully in control. The Lord on, on high is mighty. Now, in the middle of our, of our mess, it can feel very hold, hard to hold on to there, can't it? 
Often it's not until we're sort of some way through something that we begin to get a bit of perspective and can see how God's powerfully been at work. On the 3rd of January, 1957, Jim Elliott and four other missionaries made contact with a tribe in the depths of the Ecuadorian jungle, a tribe called the Hororian tribe. And the initial contact with this tribe, who'd, who'd had no contact with Westerners before, was pretty positive. So these five men kept coming back and they, they shared some gifts with those they met. But things went tragically wrong on the 8th of January, just five days later. Here's an account of what happened to Jim and those four missionaries. The Hororian, the, the, the tribe, arrived at, at Palm Beach, the name they'd kind of nicknamed for where, where they were meeting with these, uh, these local people, uh, around 3 p.m. And in order to divide the foreigners before attacking them, the tribe sent three women to the other side of the river. One woman remained hidden in the jungle, but the other two showed themselves. Two of the missionaries waded into the water to greet them, but were attacked from behind. Apparently attempting to scare them, Jim, the first missionary to be speared, drew his pistol and began firing. One of those shots mildly injured a lady, still hidden, and another grazed the missionary's attacker after he was grabbed from behind by one of the women. The other missionary in the river, Fleming, before being speared, desperately reiterated friendly overtures and asked the men, why they were killing him. Meanwhile, the other warriors attacked the three missionaries still on the beach, spearing each in turn. The last man ran, last missionary ran to the aeroplane, got hold of his radio, but was speared before he was able to call home for help. The tribe threw the men's bodies and their belongings into the river and ripped the fabric from the aircraft. Jim Elliott had been married for just three years and left behind a 10-month-old baby. How is God all-powerful in that situation, in the killing of, of five missionaries? Elizabeth Elliot, his wife, wrote a book about the, the situation just two years later, and she called the book In the Shadow of the Almighty, a staggering title. She called the book that because she was convinced that the refuge of the people of God isn't a refuge from suffering and death. And Elizabeth somehow continued to, to reach out to this tribe, the very tribe that had killed her husband. And, and in time, she won their respect. She even earned her own tribal name. And, and down the line, many of those men and women, those involved in killing Jim, turned to the Lord Jesus. See, 70 years on from what happened on the 8th of January... 1957, we can see God surprisingly at work. Sure, we've still got questions about why it should play out like that. But it's hard to argue that God didn't use the death of those men for the great good and salvation of many in that tribe. 10,000 years from now, as we wake up to yet another day of enjoying being face to face with our Heavenly Father, no doubt we'll, we'll look back on the mess of right now and think very differently about it than we do now. God is almighty. He is the unrivaled king over the sea. He's mightier than your mess. Here's, here's the last thing for us to see about God being almighty. He's the unmoved king of his people. 
He's the unmoved king of his people. Look look down at at verse 5 of Psalm 93. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. God's statutes, his his laws, remind us of, of the relationship that there is with God. The Old Testament, we see God rescuing his people out of Egypt, and as they leave Egypt as his rescued people, he, he gives laws to them at Mount Sinai. He gives them laws to, to show them how to live as his people, as a symbol of the relationship they're in. He, he sets them three, free, and he says that here's, here's how to live free. And God's laws, his statutes, stand firm. They stand firm, Because God stands firm. His relationship with us stands firm. He is the unmoved king of his people. He's not fickle like we so often are. He has committed himself to us. He's committed himself for us. And he powerfully dwells among his people. See verse 5. Holiness adorns your house. God houses himself among his people. In the Old Testament, uh, God's people saw that with the the temple, with the the tabernacle. They were sort of symbols of of God dwelling amongst his people, being with them. John says that that Jesus is the word that became flesh and made his dwelling, tabernacling, literally, among us. God came amongst us in the person of the Lord Jesus. And now by his spirit, he lives amongst us. The the almighty God, who in verse 1 is is described as robed in in majesty and armed with strength, dwells with his people, dwells with you and I, if we're trusting in the Lord Jesus. The the Bible portrays God as immensely powerful and intensely personal. And we find it really hard to hold those two things together. He is immensely powerful and intensely personal. It may be that you struggle to think of God as, as immensely, sorry, it may be that you, you don't struggle to think of God as immensely powerful. If I was to ask you to sort of paint a portrait of what you think God's like, it, it would be a picture of someone who's far off and distant and, and cold, a sort of taskmaster, a little bit like the kind of old school headmasters who you do anything you can to avoid going into their, uh, into their, their office. Just kind of keep your distance. You don't want to get too near. Well, if that's what you find yourself thinking, then, then hear that God is intensely personal. He, he draws near to you. He, he houses himself, he dwells himself among his people. And for, for those of us trusting in the Lord Jesus, clothed in his righteousness, you bring him great delight. He loves you and he loves for you to draw near to him as he draws near to you. Well, perhaps that's, that's not your struggle. Perhaps your struggle, perhaps your struggle is, is to think of God as immensely powerful. You know that he's your heavenly father, but for you the danger is just having too small a view of God. And the wonder of being able to approach God Almighty has been lost. He's sort of become your best mate. You can stroll into his, his company at any moment. Not the mighty king who, who's robed in majesty and armed with strength. Well, Sunday by Sunday, Christians around the world have said, I believe in God the Father Almighty. 
What is it we're saying as we, we say those words? Well, at least these three things. We, we believe in a mighty and unending king, a king who not only made the world but sustains it. He's no clockmaker. He sustains the world. He sustains you and I. We believe in a God who is the unrivaled king over the seas. He is mighty in your mess. One day, we'll look back and see that clearly, even if it's hard to at the moment. And we believe in a God who is the unmoved king of his people. He he dwells amongst us. He is both immensely powerful and intensely personal. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you that in this psalm we, we begin to see how wonderful it is that you are almighty. Thank you that your power is a good thing. Thank you that you don't wield power like many of the tyrants of this world do. Thank you that you are all-powerful for all eternity. You didn't make this world and step away from it, but you're intimately involved in it, sustaining us now. Thank you that you're all-powerful, even in the midst of our mess. Thank you that one day we'll see that clearly, even if we find it hard now. And thank you that you dwell with your people. The one who is robed in majesty, sitting on his throne, dwells amongst his people. Thank you that you are both immensely powerful and intensely personal. And we pray, please, that we would grow in our wonder and delight of you for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.